Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you once again for another interview episode. Another great one coming your way today. We are speaking with Australian rower Luke Letcher, bronze medalist from Tokyo as part of the Quad Skull. And great chat here with Luke, learning about his journey from starting off in the sport right through to winning that bronze in Tokyo. And a, a very unique journey. Actually, very much nearly gave away the sport twice. And of all things, the pandemic was a good thing for Luke when it came to the sport of rowing, because without the pandemic, we might not have seen him as part of that quad skull that won the bronze in Tokyo. So this is a fun chat, fascinating chat, learning a lot more about his career. So as a little bit more into rowing, we finally get clarification about a crab in rowing. That has been something that has been on our minds since Tokyo. Finally, we get clarification in this. So stay tuned for that one. Here's our chat with Australian Olympic bronze medal winning rower, Luke Letcher. I always get excited when we get to talk about the sport of rowing and we have another athlete on the show today to learn a little bit more about his career in the sport, his recent Olympic performance and everything else in between. It's a pleasure to welcome off the podium, Luke Letcher. Luke, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Actually, let me rephrase that. Olympic bronze medalist, Luke <laughs> Letcher, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, it's it's still something you need people to keep saying, right, to, to make it feel real or to kind of, you know, pinch yourself a little bit. I mean, Olympic bronze medalist, Luke Letcher, that's a better introduction. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take that. I'll cop that one. No, it's, it's, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty exciting. I mean, we haven't, since, since we got home, we've been in lockdown, so we haven't really had the opportunity to, to go out and, like, meet my friends and sort of um, share it with people yet. So I'm looking forward to getting that opportunity sometime soon. Yeah, I was going to say, have you taken it off yet? I mean, you're not wearing it right now, so I guess you, you take it off every now and then. But uh, is it sort of always around you just to kind of look at and go, oh, there it is, Olympic medal. That's just right Yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's, up sitting, it's up sitting on the kitchen table at the moment, so it's not, <laughs> not, not too far out of sight. <laughs> I like that, just sitting on the kitchen table, casually, go get a coffee. Oh, there it is. There's my medal. Uh, just sitting there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. Yeah, a month ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just 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 a casual memory and that sort of stuff. Um, I, I always love to find out how our guests get started in the sport, and I mean, rowing is obviously you know a, a big sport in Australia, sort of a very prominent sport for us. But how how did you get into rowing, Luke? How did you find your uh, I guess passion and skills for the sport? Um, well, I, I mean, I started rowing. I was I was very lucky to go to a school that had a rowing program. So here in Canberra, we row on row on Lake Billy Griffin. Um, and I was, I was lucky enough to go to a school that had a rowing program, but also coincidentally, the, the head of rowing at that time, the master of rowing is also a very old family friend of ours who lives directly over the road. 
Um, so when it when it came time to sign up for a summer sport, he sort of came for a walk over the road and was like, "Oh, Luke, you're you're pretty tall. Um, I reckon you should I reckon you should have a crack at this rowing thing. See see how you go there." Um, and I jumped jumped straight in. Had a fell in a few times. Um, <laughs> Didn't didn't get too didn't get too sick from any nasties that might be in the lake. Um, uh, but, <laughs> so the, the lake's actually quite clean. Um, and I got sort of put in a squad with a coach, um, a man named David Bagnall, who carried me through the whole way through school. Um, and he sort of really he took the time to do the extra miles and really look after me and my whole squad as as individuals and. Um, Sort of whatever whatever we needed, whatever extra things we could do, he was he was always really on board for. So um, David really sort of guided my my time through my school program. Yeah, were there other sports that you were sort of involved in? Moment you mentioned sort of a summer sport, like I mean, uh, you know, typical Australian winter sports. Was it was there footy? Was there kind of all these other sort of things going on as well in your life? Oh yeah, there were plenty, plenty of other things going on. I played um played soccer during the winter. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed my soccer, but to be honest, I mean, I'm, I'm six foot nine now. Like you can imagine what it would have been like. Um, some of my height playing soccer as a kid, there were a lot of limbs going <laughs> a lot of different directions. So I had a, I had a great time, but I, was, I wasn't particularly wasn't particularly talented at, at that. I, I did did a bit of sailing, um, and I, I enjoyed my music as well. So that that took a fair bit of my time as well. Yeah. No cliche basketball then on the height. Like, was that just that you got somebody recruiting you for for rowing? Is there not the local basketball team going? Come on, Luke. You know this is an obvious one for you. I, I think it was almost too obvious for me. For my for my whole life, I've always had people um, asking if I should play basketball and telling me I should play basketball. So it's probably some some stubborn part inside me. It was yeah. like, no, I don't play basketball. I'm not going to play basketball. Too bad. So maybe maybe, maybe that was a missed opportunity it's it seems it seems like a fun sport but um something inside me sort of resisted people pushing me in that direction <laughs> it's kind of like when people keep telling me to watch game of thrones i'm like no i get it it's a good show uh no, good? i'm not watching it now i'm sick of you telling me to watch it so it's that stubbornness yeah. right when people keep telling you one thing <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's right that's right <laughs> so when when you sort of get that initial like hey you're told you should do rowing like i mean kind of had it been something that you had Thought about what? Kind of, or you just like, oh yeah, sure, why not? I'll give it a crack. To, to be honest, I I didn't I didn't really know one end of the boat from the other um, before <laughs> I before I got down to the rowing shed. Actually, the the only other experience that I had with rowing was back when I was in kindergarten. Um, was the year that the Olympics were um, in Sydney, the two thousand games, um, and I remember everyone in our class got assigned a different sport. Um, to do some research on we, we all had to come back to come back to the class with a one one fact about our sport that we had to had to tell them and the fact that and I got I got assigned rowing um in kindergarten and the one fact that I came back with was that every every stroke of the race a rowing boat um moves moves 10 meters 10 meters per stroke which I thought was an amazing fact at the time um and then I completely forgot about the sport for another nearly <laughs> uh nearly 10 years um until I until I found myself in a rowing boat I do love that kind of school project aspect that it's something that you do and you're into it and then all of a sudden, yeah, like I couldn't remember half the school projects I did, but, um, you know, kind of going going there. Do you, do you, when you get into it though, do you go, oh, that fact that I learned, you know, look at me, coach, I know about rowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, um, nowadays you, we've got a little computer that we have in our boat that you can sort of tell your speed and your stroke rate and stuff on. You can also get your stroke distance. 
um, how, how far you're going per stroke. And so every, every time I sort of change the setting so I can see my stroke distance, I always, I always sort of think back to kindergarten and be like, I reckon I, I, reckon I can do a bit more than 10 metres this stroke. Let's have a go. <laughs> I undersold that when I was a kid, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which when you sort of discover the end of the boat, you, you, you're not falling in, in the water and everything. Do you, do you kind of get a passion for it? Is it more of a case of that, well, this is something that I'm getting a bit of success in, I'm all right at this? Kind of like does, what sparks that interest to keep going rather than just going, okay, well, this isn't for me? Um. I'm not really sure. I think I think I was I was like I was okay at rowing in my first in my first year, um, and I think I was sort of in the top three blokes in my year. And then I just sort of decided that I, I quite liked. It. I didn't really have anything anything I'd rather any other sports I'd rather be doing at the time. So I, I continued to row that winter. The the master of rowing at the time, Winky, had an option for us to come down once or twice a week during winter and um, go off little paddles and. Across that winter, I, kept, I guess I kept improving a little bit. And by the time we got back to the next summer and all the other guys in my year um, rocked back up and started joining in as well, I, I realised I'd actually, I'd actually come quite a long way in my, in my first year. And that sort of that, that first winter sort of set me – it gave me a little head start, I guess, I guess in my rowing. And I, 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 kind of, I kind of ran with that all through school. What's the rowing scene like in, in Canberra, I guess, at that point too? Because, I mean, you – got massive lake right there in your backyard so i can imagine it's sort of uh it's, it's quite convenient for you guys when you want to get out there and kind of do the sport i mean is it is it at that time quite a big sport has it always sort of been a, a, i guess a big rowing scene in canberra um yeah i mean we've, we've got we've got a fairly big fairly big rowing scene we've got um got a couple of a couple of fairly fairly competitive clubs that um are regularly racing in nationals we've got four or five um, school programs. We've got the ACT High Performance Program, and we've also got the Men's National Training Centre. Is now the Men's National Training Centre is based in Canberra. It used to be the the whole AIS rowing program with men and women and paras, but now now it's just the men's here, and the the women's training centre is in um, Penrith. Um, so we've got quite a quite a broad and diverse rowing scene. If if that's a, if that's a thing, as as far as rowing scenes go, we sort of cover a lot of bases. We've got a lot of juniors masters high performance you name it we've we've got it in, in a rowing sense which i mean look come on we're on the topic of canberra gonna make a canberra joke at least gives you something to do in canberra right so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah to, to be honest as far as cities go Cam- canberra's not too bad to look at so I, look i actually being, don't mind being, canberra being, being, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm i'm more than happy to talk down canberra the less people that come here the the more it saves to the rest of us I'm from Hobart, so I can't talk. So, you know, it's kind of it's one of those things where it's like, you know, Ben, like, you know, you, you can't make jokes about places when you're from Hobart. So it's, it's you know, like, but seriously, I, I've, I've not been to Canberra in a while, but I always get baffled when people kind of talk down Canberra because I legitimately loved my time when I went to Canberra. I had a lot of fun and uh, kind of enjoyed everything about it. So, um, yeah, everyone, leave Canberra alone. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean. But don't don't shout about it too loudly. We don't want yeah, exactly. we don't want everyone, we don't want everyone to come before the party. <laughs> Balance it out a little bit. Balance it Incredible. out. We when it, I always am fascinated when, in rowing, just the multiple disciplines. Obviously, the different type of boats that you know you can be in an eight, you can be in a single. You know, kind of along those lines. Like, do you kind of experiment a lot, sort of along the way when you're you're in it? Your coach is kind of you know trying you out in in different boats, different formats, kind of. And and where do you find that sweet spot that this is what I'm best suited to? Um, well, in, in rowing, so we've got two main disciplines. You've got sculling, where everyone has two oars each. You've got one in each hand, and then you've got sweep, where you've got um, where you've got one oar per person. 
Um, and because I, I went to a re relatively small rowing school in Canberra we, and, and we're co-ed, we stuck to sculling boats, which is two oars per person. So when I was at school, I exclusively, exclusively rowed in singles, doubles and quads. And it wasn't until I finished school that I was exposed to sweep rowing in um, pairs, fours and eights. Um, so the naming can be, namings can be quite confusing, but um, they, they are what they are. Um, and I, I guess as a result of that, I sort of put myself more in the, in the sculling side of it. But um, I, did, I did actually spend a year, a year doing sweep a few years ago. I, so I've, I've raced internationally in, in sweep as well. I raced, I've raced an eight um, internationally, but sculling's, sculling's always really been my go-to. And then across sculling, the single is obviously, it's, the, the single scholars internationally, they are phenomenal. Like as, as athletes, they are on, an, on, a, on another level. They're phys physically some of the most incredible people um, in any sport in the world. Um, and then sort of as you move up in boat size, it's the, the, de the demands on the athletes change. Um, so in, in a double, it's really, it's really about matching two people really perfectly together so that everything they do is really really perfectly aligned with each other and then once you get to the quad it's more about building building a rhythm and idea that everyone can buy into because when you've got four different people it's going to be really hard for them to get the perfect matchup like you need in the double but um in a as, as both get bigger it's really really more important the idea and the communication and um bringing everyone all onto onto a similar page um so each each boat sort of has its own has its own demands that suit different people and have have different levels of reward and challenge which I don't know if this is a controversial question when it comes to asking this to rollers, Luke. What what's easier, the the sculling or the sweep? <laughs> um, uh, depends who you ask. If you ask a sweeper, sculling is probably harder. If you ask a sculler, sweeping is probably harder. <laughs> um, they, they, to, to be honest, to be honest, they both they both have their challenges. Um, I I've, I've always really enjoyed the the challenge of sculling. There's, some, there's, some, there's something in it that I've always um, found sort of unattainable and really really hard to sort of get a grasp on that keeps sort of keeps drawing me back but there's in my in my in my year in sweep a couple of years ago i definitely found that there's there's a lot there's a lot to that as well you can you can dive pretty deep into sweep rowing <laughs> which you mentioned before about the physicality i mean obviously rowing is an incredibly physical sport but the one that always kind of throws me of how physically demanding it is is just going on that rowing machine at the local gym. Like you sit there and okay, this is easy. I can do this. And like I always get about ten strokes in, and I'm just like, fuck this. This is ridiculous. Like I can't imagine what it's like, kind of going out there on a lake and and doing that. I, I, I mean, how can you describe the physical demands that it has had on your body over the years? Just of how demanding the sport of rowing is on you. Um, yeah, I mean, part, part of part of learning to row is learning how to make that movement more efficient so that you can get more power from your body into the water without, without doing the stuff that, um, without doing the movements that make it sort of feel futile. Um, but in, ter in terms of sort of the, the physicality of it, like you, ne you need to be, you need to be really strong. It's a really, it's a really powerful movement. Um, the, our rowing race is about six minutes long, um, which means that you've got this sort of balance between anaerobic and aerobic, which is sort of your, your short distance and your long distance energy system. So it's this really sort of quite unpleasant balance of these these two energy systems. So you need to do some really short, hard training, but also a lot of really, really long, slow training um, to build to build those two 
to build those two systems. Um, and so as a result, like we, we do gym three times a week um, and in, and also we'll be doing 200 to 250 kilometres of rowing on the water in a week, go sort of at, a, at a sort of speed like you a sort of running kind of speed, like a fast running speed um, is how quickly we're going. So we, we spend a lot of time just out there grinding away, doing doing pretty boring stuff to make those really small incremental changes in your in your physiology. Yeah. Is it about is it about peaking too? That obviously you're out there doing those you know hundreds of kilometers on on a lake each week. You, you don't want to kind of put yourself, in, I guess, in race conditions straight away. But do you kind of need to build around your competitions in a certain year to to peak? Say you're going into Tokyo, so you don't want to kind of burn yourself out leading into Tokyo, so you are at that peak performance level on competition day. Uh, absolutely, um, and that, that sort of comes back to those two different two different energy systems and also sort of training, training yourself mentally how to race. Um, you can, the your sort of um, long distance base, you can build over quite a long period of time, but the really high intensity stuff, you sort of start to ramp up um, as you, as you come into racing. Um, so a, a year out, six months out, we're doing really, really long, slow, pretty boring Ks. And then as you sort of get closer and closer to racing, the training sort of gets more and more high intense, um, obviously, still with a lot of a lot of Ks and a lot of distance, but the type of the type of training that happens in there changes. And then, as you get even closer to racing, you start doing more practice races to sort of more training your mind than training your body and remembering how to remembering how to put yourself in the places you need to be across a across a two thousand meter race. And then, then obviously, right right coming into the games a couple of weeks out, you start to start to taper your training off so that all of those physiological benefits that you've tried to build on can really come to the front and um, be, in a, be in a place to work properly. Well, what are some of the, the key mental aspects then that you're, you're training on? I mean, obviously, you can't exactly, I guess, uh, you know, use your brain in a gym, but, I mean, kind of what's the, the mental gym aspect that you kind of are working on when you are doing the mental aspect of the sport? Um, what, what, what you're thinking about mostly when you're on the water is um, obviously you're, you're trying to, put yourself physically in the right right place you need to be for whatever training session you're in. If you're doing a long, fairly slow training session, it's, you're cruising along. And if you're doing a fairly hard training session, then you really want to be hitting those right training zones. Um, but all while that's going on, you're thinking about how you're rowing, how you're moving the boat. I mean, the rowing stroke is a very simple thing. You're doing exactly the same thing hundreds and hundreds of times, day in, day out. Um, there's, nothing, there's nothing particularly complicated about it, but... It's it's a remarkably hard thing to get really correct um, and as efficient as it can possibly be, um, and, there's, and there's there's big differences in really really small things when you get to the top end. Um, so while you're while you're doing that, while you're sort of trying to put yourself in those physical places, your coach will be talking to you, and you'll be trying to work out things that you can do in your in your movement to make it more efficient and to get more speed out of the work that you're doing. Which when it comes to strategy in a rowing race, how important is that aspect and working on that? Because I can imagine you can go into any race with a strategy and then all of a sudden it can go out the window pretty quickly. I mean, kind of is it just a sort of a general strategy you'll always have or is it always dependent on conditions, on kind of who you're up against? Is it always sort of free-flowing? Um, I mean, it, how, how you approach races actually changes depending on your, your boat class a lot. Like if you're racing in an eight, it's it's really it's really a drag race. Like you just have to go as fast as you can for as long as you can and hang off a dear life because there's so much momentum to those boats 
it's really hard to get a change in speed. So you just got to get the boat up to speed and keep going as fast as you can and not rely on doing any moves or um, making any changes in the race to, to get you the win, I guess, or, or certainly not more than one move um, through the middle of the race. But then if you get down into the single, um, if you, when you're out there racing in a single skull down a 2000 meter course, you're, you're very, very alone. Um, and that can, that can be an opportunity in a way. in the fact that if, if you can make a, if you can make a move on, on an opponent, opponent through the middle of the race and at a point they're not expecting pe- people aren't mentally as mentally as strong in the single skull off and it's easier to, easier to play mental games and, encourage encourage it might sound bad but encourage other people to have a sub suboptimal race <laughs> through something that you do um obviously you can't actually interact with them so it's it's sort of in, in smaller boats you can you can try to sort of play play head games a bit and try to try to get the most out of yourself while while being in an advantageous position mentally yeah which i always love hearing that i, I always it's one question i always like to ask is sort of about that you know, psyching out the sledging sort of of other of the competitors, and while in some sports it's a quite obvious way of you know your shit do better, but other times it's obviously it can kind of come down to different subtle things. Which I mean, you're all competitors, you're all there striving for the, the same goal, so it's kind of that unique aspect of rowing that you just got to do it slightly differently rather than just being in the boat stroking, going you shit, you know, row better. <laughs> uh yeah we, we we don't we don't get to interact with our competition much particularly internationally like may, maybe when you're racing against against people domestically like we we all know each other um domestically so we might we might talk a bit of shit before and after races um so you, you can you can try to play those games a bit if you like but it's it often it often won't end up won't end up working in your favor if you try too hard um there's, there's, a, there's a fine line between um throwing someone off and making them angry um (laughs) one of them can one of them can go well for you and one of them can go very badly um so the 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 the, the best the best way to do it is um on the water and what what you what you do what you do in a race but also what you've done in previous races if if someone knows that you're going to get three quarters of the three quarters of the way through a race and you're likely to slow down towards the end of the race they're going to be pretty confident being alongside you coming three quarters of the way through the race because I know that you're probably going to probably going to break. But if you, if you show regularly that you, you're really capable of putting down a good race every time, then um, someone who's next to you three quarters of the way through, they're going to be, they're going to be a bit concerned that you're still there. Cause I can imagine, I love hearing about when swimmers talk about sort of that notion that they know someone's next to them or they can kind of have that awareness of oh i'm ahead or anything along those lines it's obviously a bit different in rowing you've got more visual aspect of being able to see but it's also again what you're saying sort of staying in your zone and everything that you you can't let that get to you that if you're the one who's been caught by someone you don't want to be going to the left like shit they're coming they're coming you've just got to stick in your zone and and worry about your own race absolutely it's a one of my one of my old coaches Lyle McCarthy had a had a great saying that I really like in, in rowing and in life actually it was just tell me keep keep your head in your boat and get their head in your boat um and I, I you can you can apply that to a lot a lot of other situations in life but it's particularly obviously applicable to rowing in that you, you can't really you can't really do anything about what's going on in their boat but you can you can try to get them to worry about what's going on in your boat um and you can make yourself go as fast as you can it's a great saying. You should put that in a T-shirt. You could sell some rowing merch with that one. I like it. Uh, there's plenty, plenty, plenty of other average sayings on rowing merch. <laughs> <laughs> Which your your career progression, kind of going through the ranks, 
eventually representing Australia. You sort of alternate a lot between the quads and, and, and the pairs. I mean, do you get, again, back to sort of what I asked me before, like a sweet spot where it's more of a coach that's like, okay, Luke, you're really suited to this quad. We're going to get you on this team. These guys are going to work well for you. Uh, I mean, do you get much of a say in that? And do you then have a preference kind of as you get on in your career that, okay, I want to purely stick to quads here. I want to stick to doubles kind of, you know, as you go along. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, my, my journey through rowing sort of being, been a little bit complicated. Um, so if you, if you take from when I, when I, when I finished school, it became, became, became fairly simple in rowing. We sort of peak quite a bit older than many, many other sports. So, um, I had my sort of four years as an under 23 and in my, my second year I got selected in the single, um, third year I got selected in the double and the, the fourth year I got selected in, in the quad. Um, the single was racing the single internationally. It was pretty rude, to be honest. It's it's pretty pretty eye-opening to see how how impressive some of these other people are overseas that um, are in these are in these boats. Um, but I was actually through through my four years as an under 23, that was the four years of the 2016 Olympic cycle. And obviously being in Canberra, who else was training in Canberra was Kim Brennan. Um, and she was coached on Alain McCarthy. And um, right at the start of their cycle, I think uh, Lyle found me out on the lake and saw me saw me kicking around. And was like, oh, how quickly do you row around the lake? And I, I think I told him a little bit of an ambitious number, to be honest. And he was like, oh, that's great. That's that's exactly the same speed that, that Kim trains on. You want to you come train with us? I was like, oh, God, I've, I've sold myself a bit long here. Um, but I... I ended up being Kim's training partner across most of the 20, most of her 2016 cycle, um, sort of for at least six, nine months of every single year while I was in, while I was in Canberra. Um, so I sort of, she's, she's an incredible, incredible person, incredible athlete. And so yeah. I sort of got a really good role model from her as to how to, how to do things right. Um, but also, even more than that, how to find out what works for an individual. Um, there are plenty of ways to do to do it right, but that way will be different for every person. And she'd really found her way and she dialed into it. Um, so my first year in the single skull, I trained alongside her and that was incredible. And then my second year, I got selected in the double um, with a, a bloke from Sydney named Tom Shramko. And unfortunately, I got really sick just before we raced at World Champs. So we kind of underperformed there. And then the third year, I got selected in the quad um, with Tom again, um, and another another guy from Canberra named Caleb, and who was who was in my quad this year, and, and another guy named Rob, and we we ended up we ended up going on to win the under twenty three world title um, in that boat, and I sort of that sort of lit my passion for the quad, I guess, in in a way. I, I mean, it was all, it, it was always there, but I really I really really loved the quad. Um, and then starting the next cycle, we in Australia we sort of started up a new system of these men's and women's national training centres. So the men's training centres in Canberra, the women's training centres in Penrith. Um, I got I got invited into the training centre, and my training didn't step up, but it sort of changed in a way. And I, I sort of I peaked quite early in that in that training centre, and then I had like a quite a gradual decline um, across the next next couple of years which sort of left me doing a bit of soul searching i guess um and that, that's how i ended up rowing sweep for a year that's how i ended up racing the eight um at a world cup internationally because i, I sort of 
I'd, I'd done a couple of years in sculling on the on the men's senior team, and it wasn't it wasn't really going the direction that I that I hoped it would go. Um, and then I I had a had a run in sweep, and to, to be honest, that was that was okay. But I I think it was a bit late for me to um for, for, late for me to be really really starting up sweep at a at an elite level. Um, and after, after that year, I, I was still physically in a, a pretty good spot in the squad, but I, I just wasn't rowing well. I wasn't mentally in a good space. And I'd sort of, because of my sort of internal frustrations, I'd become probably quite abrasive um, to, the, to the coaching staff and the selectors and staff. And I, I ended up getting dropped from the National Training Centre. Um, and so, I, so this was at the end of 2019. Um, and so I found myself in a position where I was like, I could, I could probably probably quit here and no one would really ask any questions. Um, but I, w- I went back across to ACTAS um, over the road, uh, the ACT high performance um, squad, which are, who I, where I trained with for a couple of years right at the end of school. Um, and I just really, I, I spent two weeks just kicking around, not really doing much training, but just just having a bit of fun in the single. And I really like rediscovered my love for the sport, as cliche as that is, but um, I just had my head to the grindstone for such a long time. I'd been overlooked by selectors every every stroke of my stroke of my training, and I just had this opportunity to just go away and do what I wanted to do and um, try to make this rowing thing my own. And so I sort of decided, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have a have a bit of a crack at this and see see what we can make of this and try to try to prove the try to prove those people wrong who who dropped me from the dropped me from the training center. Um, and right at that time, Actas got a new new coach. Unfortunately, the the previous coach, Nick Garrett, um, passed away just before I came back to Actas, which was a huge loss for the ACT rowing community. Um, but I, I sort of came in at a time when we were getting a new new young coach, Dave Fermano, who who had and he still does have so much energy to put into athletes and he he really sort of bought into what I wanted to do with open arms and um, sort of tried to afford me any opportunity he could through the ACTAS program. Um, so across the that 2019-2020 season, I I really worked away. Um, and my motivation across that year was really like to try to prove them wrong and do do what I could to show that, I don't know, try to validate myself somehow, I guess. Yeah. Um, but... By the time we got to trials, I was performing much better than I had for any year. I was rowing much better. I was physically in a better, better place across the board than I had been in any previous years. But I still, I was still quite offside with the selectors. Believe it or not, um, when your motivation is to prove them wrong, you don't tend to endear yourself to them um, anymore. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't put myself in a particularly positive position when it came to selections and. Um, rowing selections is a pretty, pretty challenging thing. You've got to, you've, you've, you've got to put yourself in a position where you, they want to select you effectively. And I, I hadn't to, the reality was I hadn't done that. I hadn't sort of, I hadn't made it clear that I was ready to buy into what, what their team was going to look like. Um, and I did, I didn't get selected for the boat in 2020. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm done. Quit. That's the, that's the Olympics over. And then obviously COVID hit, um, and we we're in lockdown for four months. And I didn't, I didn't do any training for those four months. I just rode my bike a few times a week, 
Um, and as we we're coming to the end of that that lockdown back then, um, Dave Romano came up to me again. and was like, all right, are, are you going to do this again? I was like, absolutely not. This is ridiculous. I didn't get selected last year. And he was like, I, I reckon, I reckon we can do, I reckon we can do some of these things better. I reckon there's a real opportunity for us here. Um, and so I, I put a, put a lot. I, I guess, I guess not, not getting selected in 2020 was like a, a near death experience for me in a way, like in inverted yeah. commas. Um, in the 2021 was an opportunity that shouldn't have been there. Um, and so I, I could sort of approach the year in a way that no, nothing really mattered. Everything was a bonus. Um, every, every opportunity that I got was an opportunity that shouldn't, shouldn't have really existed. Um, and so I put a lot of work into expressing to the, the selectors that I was willing to buy into, to their, to their boat and be a part of the team and, um, try to buy into what what they wanted to happen with the program um while also in the background being an actor doing my own training doing something completely different doing half the training they were doing um but rowing rowing better getting really good guidance and support and trying to trying to get the most out of myself um physically and mentally and put myself in the best place to um be selected and then i, I started going very fast at the time trials and the in the December in 2020. Um, and then we came into trials and I think I came, I think I came third in the single scholar trials, which for me was a pretty good result. And the, the two guys that beat me, Caleb and, um, Caleb and Cam were, were really flying. So I really put myself in a good position to, to get selected in the quad there and, um, across the trying process in the next, next couple of months, I, I, I got myself selected in the stroke seat of the quad. Um, which the, the stroke seat is a seat that everyone else follows. Um, so you've got you've got a lot of responsibility in stroke seat to set up the rhythm and the stroke in the way that's going to be really conducive for everyone else. And I think the the time that I spent over at Actas working with Dave Fermano had really put me in a position where I was rowing in a way that I, I really understood and and I knew would make the boat go fast and I could sort of instill that confidence in the rest of the boat from from that seat from that seat in stroke seat. Yeah. What an incredible story to kind of think that had the pandemic not happened, we might not even be speaking today, Luke. Like, that, that's incredible. I mean, how, how do you feel when you get that official confirmation that you're on that squad, you're going to the Olympics, kind of after everything that you just endured, where you essentially had thrown the sport away had it not been for this pandemic? Um, yeah, like, it, it it just all felt like a bonus. Like, um, I, I've never sort of rode or raced with sort of such, I guess it sounds a bit cliche, but such sort of inner peace as I have for the last for the last year because ev- everything just sort of wasn't meant to happen. So every time an op- another opportunity comes, I'm almost like surprised. I'm like, all right, sweet, like why why not? Let's 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 have another go. Let's let's take this another step. Um, and I I, know I never I never really believed that I would I would get there until until I think we we crossed the line of our heat. Um, and we we qualified through to the final. I just I just remember sitting there thinking like it's pretty sick that we qualified through to the final. But wow, I just I just made it to the Olympics, and I've, I'm a, I'm a part of this now. No one can take that away from me again. You must make that medal look even more special on the kitchen counter right now. Then whenever you do have a bit of a look <laughs> at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean on 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 a, on a personal level that like my my journey up until selections is it's it it means it means a lot from that. From that end, but then also once um, once we got selected, um, 
So at, at trials, there are, there are a couple of guys who had um, some medical exemptions from trials and it, things, things all started to look a little bit more complicated. Um, and so the four of us were effectively the four guys that were left over. Um, not, not that, obviously not, not, not that we were the, not that we were the dregs, but um, there, there, there are a couple of, a couple of people that were missing. Um, so we're sort of told at trials, all right, you guys are selected kind of for now. If you can if you can show that you're fast enough to win a medal um, across the next couple of months, we'll keep you in the boat. Um, and so, as a crew, we all had a chat. We all decided we we all we all quite wanted to be there. Um, we all quite wanted to be in the crew. Um, and so we really we really banded together and made that boat our own because the the coach was also the selector. So he um, he was he was he was incredibly supportive of us, but he sort of he had to he had to keep a level of objectivity for a little while. And so it was, in a lot of ways, it was really on us to try to get the most out of ourselves and prove that we deserved those seats in that boat. Um, and so that meant across the next two or three months, we, we really made it our own. We, we trained how we wanted to train. Um, we, didn't, we didn't pander to how the head coach wanted the program to be done. We did it how we knew would get the best out of us. We rode, we rode how we knew we were going to get the best out of our boat. Um, and so everything, everything we, everything sort of that came together on finals day, we felt was a product of what each, each of the four of us had brought to the boat, um, and also how we, how we'd come together. Um, so when, when, when we sort of crossed the line and we, we got a medal, I mean, on a personal level, it was, it was the things that had helped me to get there, but then on a crew level, it was, it was incredibly important for us because we felt a real ownership over that result. We didn't feel like a product of the program. We felt like it was something that we'd, we'd really made. When you went into Tokyo, what was the mindset? Was it a case of we can medal, we will medal? Kind of like what was the, the goal going into the event? Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. We'd done... We did, we did some sort of practice regattas in Australia. I mean, obviously, we couldn't go over to overseas to do any races um, against the rest of the world. So we just had some practice regattas domestically where we raced all the boats in the team. And you can – so, obviously, each different boats at different speed, and there are women's boats and men's boats. But we compare boats based on how quickly they go relative to the world's best times. We call that prognostics or progs. Um, and in these practice regattas on the on the progs, we were we were pretty consistently up near the top. The the women's four were consistently the right right up there. But occasionally we'd knock them off, or we'd normally be sort of the second boat um, on on those. So we sort of knew that we were around we were around a mark to get a medal, but we don't know because we don't know what the competition's like. And we also knew that. Um, based on previous year's results and the racing that had been going on overseas, the, the Dutch, who went on to win, were one of the most impressive crews in any boat class across the board. Um, and they'd also been beaten in one of the, the lead-up races. Um, so we knew there was some pretty red-hot competition in our boat class, so we didn't really know where we stacked up. We knew that we had the potential to be around the mark. Um, so... You, you never really know, particularly if you haven't raced against them, but that, that it is what it is. <laughs> I, I always love finding out about 
just Olympic experiences, what it's like for you personally to kind of soak up that atmosphere. I mean, do you take moments when you're there in Tokyo in the lead up to your event that you're at the Olympics, you're in a village, you're surrounded by the world's best athletes, or is it sort of so focused on competition that that's maybe something you, I guess, soak in a little bit maybe afterwards? Um, yeah, no, it's just, it, de- it definitely is something that we, we took a bit of time to appreciate. Um, before racing, we didn't have a huge amount of time after racing. We had to we had to leave Tokyo within within 48 hours of our event finishing, so there wasn't much opportunity afterwards um, for that. But I, I remember in walking out of the Australian building for the first time um, the morning we'd arrived, um, and just there's there's just an energy to the place. There's an energy of thousands of people that all really wanted to be there and had a real enthusiasm and a drive and a purpose um, to what they were doing and where they wanted to be in their lives and that this that this was it um, it's sort of hard to hard to describe any any way other than that but it, re- it really it really struck me that that was that was for me the thing that made the village so special that that this is this coming together of energy and enthusiasm and excitement for some sort of shared purpose for all these people across the world. Talking about energy, day five was where it was at for the rowing for Australia. <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously, a couple of gold to one in the, the women's and the men's coxless four, and then obviously you add the bronze to that as well as, as the women as well. I mean, just what was the energy like going into your race knowing that Australia had just picked up a couple of gold? Uh, Ariana got in a gold earlier in, in the swimming. I mean, it just it happened so quickly. It just everything. I remember that day so vividly because it's like, shit, I can't keep up. Stop winning gold, Australia. So, I mean, what was it like going into the race knowing that, there was a bit of momentum, a couple of gold for the the rowing team going into your event. Um, we we didn't we didn't know actually because the the start line's two thousand meters away from the finish line. We don't hear any of the commentary. We we have no idea what's going on. Um, the only indication that we had was seeing the men's and women's sports racing um, as we were warming up, and we saw both of them were out in front. And to to be honest, we kind of knew that they were going to win both both of those boats. I mean, th- things could have gone wrong, but all bar things. All bar things happening. They're both they're both two very very classy crews within their fields, um, and they that there's, there's never a sure thing. But we we had a lot of confidence that they were going to get a result, um, and so it, seeing them come down in front, it what what it, what it did for us was that um, it validated that the racing that we'd done domestically, um, all those practice regattas that those boats that were up the top of the practice regattas were boats that were up the top of the world. Um, and so it meant that we could sort of sit on the sideline in the final, going like, "We we're gonna we could be in this. Like if we if we do our best here, we 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 should be in this race." When when you cross the line and you you look across, you've got the bronze. I mean, obviously it's very close finish, very close to the silver, and very close to fourth. Essentially, kind of it could have gone either way there. But I mean, sort of. Is it those moments when you cross? Do, do you get a do you get a feeling? Do you go okay? Well, we've got a medal, or kind of is it straight away look to the scoreboard? I mean, kind of what is that feeling like crossing, and then kind of that moment you're like, shit, what do we get? Where do we where do we finish? Um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a moment of um, crossing crossing the line, thinking like we we might have we might have been third here, and then looking up at the scoreboard, and then sort of just disbelief that it had all sort of um, come together. To, to get a medal, I mean, and then then that sort of disbelief doesn't doesn't seem to leave for a little while. Not um, not until you sort of feel like someone's going to come and take it away from you. Um, it wasn't it wasn't really until maybe maybe half an hour, twenty minutes, half an hour after our race, you, we 
did the did the podium and got back in the boat, rode the boat back around to the to the pontoon, and then you need to weigh your boat um, because there's there's a minimum weight that these boats need to be um, be above, and so we had to carry our boat in, carry up and wear that. And gee, that was a nervous twenty seconds of my life waiting for the can imagine waiting for the weight to come up, and it wasn't until that weight came up over the over the fifty two kilos or whatever it is that I was like, wow, okay. There aren't there aren't many other ways that this can get taken away from us now. I think I think this is ours. This is yours. And what was the party like then that night? Four of you had walked away with you know four crews had walked away with medals that night. I can't imagine you you had a very uh, you know not sore head the next day. Um, yeah, no, it was, we 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 had we had a really nice evening actually because um, the the weren't there weren't many other people around that were finished racing and hadn't hadn't left yet. Um, so it was, and we weren't allowed out partying in any sort of public areas or anything so we were really just you know in in a couple of the rooms um trying to um, having a few sort of real relatively quiet drinks and i think there, there was a lot of just satisfaction in the room a lot of we all just sort of sat around sort of looked at each other it's like like we've we've we've, we've done this we're, we're we're all a part of this team together this is it, would, it was a pretty it was a pretty incredible sort of shared shared feeling amongst us. I mean, the, the, the women, the women's quad as well, like their result yeah. was, their result was amazing. Um, where, and where they'd come from as a crew that had to qualify that boat late. Um, they, they sort of had a lot, a lot stacked against them and to, to come away with the bronze, they, they were over, overjoyed as well. They were sort of in a similar position to us where, where it could have, it could have gone anyway. And it, they, they, they put down a really, really good race. They put themselves in a position to get third and they took their opportunity. Um, yeah. What are the quiet drinks? Like, are you drinking just some Japanese beer? Do you bring over some uh, some local kind of stuff? Like, do the AOC kind of have the sneaky beer collection ready to go to celebrate these moments? Um, oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say. No, I think the the, <laughs> the AOC had a had a sneaky had a sneaky beer beer collection for us. Um, and are they sponsored? Are we are you allowed to tell us what the sneaky or is it kind of regional? Like, oh, you're from Canberra. This is what you're drinking. You know, like I don't I don't hope they don't provide you just with Fosters and be generic. <laughs> I, um, to be honest, I can't really. I think they were Japanese beers. I think I think right. someone had, someone someone had probably been probably been tasked with um, with going and getting some, but we, we weren't allowed to leave the village either. So the only way for us to get any other drinks was to like Uber eats them, Uber eats them to the to the village, which, which was a pain, which was a painful process. So we kind of kind of we're kind of limited for for better or worse. I, I like to think that somebody got the job on the AOC. Like your job, you're coming to Tokyo. You are the beer buyer. You will be the one tasked <laughs> with going out and sourcing beer for each of our medal wins. That is a cool job to have. <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad job to have, but I think you'd get a funny look from security when you yeah. when you're taking that much beer into the village. <laughs> you might be an alcoholic, mate. Uh, might be time to sort of uh, look at that. I think your your Instagram post that I absolutely loved after the medal win might be the most Australian way of celebrating an Olympic medal win, simply saying this is going straight to the pool room. Uh, I mean, that that has to be the most Australian way to celebrate a medal win. Oh, absolutely. I, I love The Castle. It's one, one of my favourite movies. And also, the bow seat of my crew, Jack, hasn't seen The Castle. What? Um, and How? So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's It's... Been beyond me, and I spent months bullying him about it. And he still hasn't watched it, and there doesn't seem anything. You would have won the gold had he bloody watched the castle. I'm saying it now; it's his fault. Oh, exactly. <laughs> it, it would it would have got the vibe. Um, <laughs> so, it was, um, I mean, I, I I love it as a movie. I, I reckon it it sums up everything great about Australian culture in in a single film. Um, 
and yeah, I, I don't. I don't know what, what more to say. Straight I, to the I, I, I want you. I want you out in the boat now, just for a second. Ah, how's the serenity? How's the serenity? Kind of halfway through, right? Maybe he'll get it then, and then again, gold medal, oh, Paris. There you ab- go. Ab- <laughs> absolutely not. Um, me and me and Cam, who was in three seat behind me, we would constantly quote the castle in the boat, just <laughs> just to annoy just to annoy Jack. He'd be like, he would be like, I know their quotes. I'm not going to watch it. Too bad. <laughs> It's going back to that whole thing of like, stop telling me to play basketball. Stop telling me to watch Game of Thrones. I'm not watching the castle. I I can can identify the feeling, but I still wish you'd watched it. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that's fascinating, because like Australians watch the rowing. We we, we think of a group of four men in a boat. It's the awesome foursome. Uh, And obviously... We have the awesome foursome. We've had many of awesome foursomes over the years, but uh, that obviously comes into the different category. For, for for your event, now I looked into this in the Quad Skulls. So this is the fifth medal Australia has won in the Quad Skulls, but never quite the gold. This is It's fascinating to think that we've never actually gotten that gold in Quad Skulls. I mean, is this sort of what drives a lot of you then to maybe move towards a, a Paris appearance or something like that to kind of get the breakthrough, bring the gold home in an event that we're, we're pretty good at. We just can't quite get the gold in it. Yeah. It's been, it's been sort of elusive. We've come, we've come pretty close a couple of times, but we've never, we've never quite made it. Um, the quad is, the quads are both that the European countries, a lot of European countries really, really love. And they, they put a lot of, I put a lot of energy into. So every, every Olympics, the standard in the quad, the minimum standard in the final is really, really high. Um, and so that, that means often races can go a lot of different directions and there's, there's, there's no sort of real, real certainty to it. Um, I mean, in, in it, I'd, 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 lo- I'd love it if we could, if we could win the quad, that'd be, that'd be incredible. That'd be really, really one for the record books. It's not, it's not something that we've got a lot of pedigree in it. It's, it's, oh, sorry. We do have a lot of pedigree in it, but it's not something that we've, we've ever done before. Um, and it would be it would be quite an upset for a non-European country to to win. I, I don't know when the last time a non-European country won. I'm, I'm not looking sure here, happened. and in according at least to what I'm seeing in the Olympics, it's only ever been European countries that have won the quad skulls. So yeah, yeah. So they've they've got they've got quite a quite a hold on it. So that that'd be that'd be amazing if we could if we could do that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, looking here outside of just the different coloured medals, obviously Australia, five, as I said, the US have won a couple, Canada won a bronze back in 84. Uh, so uh, even our dear friends uh, in New Zealand haven't even medaled in this event. So uh, no, it's how a, good it's they're a, rowing. Yeah, it's a, it's a sort of, it's a weird boat class. It requires a, a certain mentality to get it, to get it really singing. Um in, in if you if you jump in an eight, an eight is a lot about the energy and the power and um, really just getting eight people on the same page to be able to put out as much power as they can. Um, the single is sort of obviously at the complete other end, but it's also sort of similar in similar in some ways. Like you really need to be physical. Like there's there's a huge amount of technique to it and, and skill, um, but the physically the physicality of it is a, a really overriding part. The quads this sort of weird middle ground where you can you can have some you can have the four physically best rowers in the world in one boat and it can go incredibly slowly because there, there are some there are some details to making it making it move that are really hard to hard to nail sometimes and those those European countries with a with a bit of, with a bit more pedigree in it they seem to be able to repeat it a bit better maybe that, that handing down that information from generation to generation but that's sort of what we're 
while we're trying to build, like it was incredible having Cam in the boat, who got a silver medal in the in the previous games. Um, he was he was a sort of real real, real rock for us. That um, Caleb and I were kind of the ones sort of pushing different directions and what was going on. And Cam was really like, "This is we're onto something good here. Let's stick with this. Let's this this is this is good. Um, we can back we can back this back this idea and back this philosophy." Which then does that lead you on to the momentum with only three years to Paris that this is the next driver that you you will aim towards those games? Um, to be honest, I'm I'm not I'm not sure at the moment. I mean, like like I sort of said, I've, I've spent quite a long time in the system. I've I've been I've been on I've been on international teams for the last ten years um, in a row now, and it's sort of being in the training center for a while is really really hampered my hampered my studies and um the other things i want to do in my life so um i'm not quite sure where i sit looking looking forwards to tokyo at the moment i mean i, I think I'd, i've i've taken an awful lot of satisfaction out of what what we've done this year um and so i, I think i'd need a goal um that would that would justify another another three years of. Well, I've got a goal just quickly for eleven years. I mean, Brisbane, you know, that, you you'll only be is, what thirty eight. I mean, that's not too bad. James Tompkins was forty three, I think, in Beijing. So you know, you've got plenty of time. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Twenty thirty two would be would be incredible. Right, racing at home games that would be that would be a goal worth worth sticking around for. Um, so maybe 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 a comeback a bit later in my career, but I'm I'm not sure about this cycle. <laughs> I'm thinking we might have crowds hopefully by 2032. I'm assuming we will have um, the restrictions lifted hopefully in 11 I'm, years' time, right? <laughs> I'm assuming the pandemic should be mostly done by then. <laughs> hopefully, we're we're, we're kind of uh, looking towards that. Now we like to close out, Luke, with a series of kind of just get to know your questions. So I'll get to in just a second. I mean, you're mentioning sort of studies, things you want to do kind of moving forward in life. I mean, sort of what are some of those goals outside of rowing that you're sort of looking to, to achieve? Um, well, I'm, I'm studying engineering. I've been doing it for far too many years now. So I really, I really want to finish my engineering degree. It's been hard to, hard to do my practical hours in labs and, and those kind of things when I'm, in, in in the training center training three times a day and off overseas for two or three months of the year so I, re- I really want to and really need to to get that finished and I'm also I'm also sort of excited to just find another challenge worth worth digging my teeth into you know there's pl- there's plenty of there's plenty of um, other exciting things in the world other than sport and I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to find other areas that I might I might be good at <laughs> I guess um, I'm ho- I'm hoping the only thing I'm not I'm hoping that I'm not just good at rowing in, in life, and maybe I am, um, but I'd, I'd like to find that out the hard way. One thing actually I'd like to find out too, we had a lot of fun during the games when we were talking about rowing, uh, showing our limited knowledge of the sport too, Luke, is uh, that when the commentators would talk about hitting a crab, now we were like, holy crap, what's wrong with the water in Tokyo? Why are there just <laughs> endless crabs floating around? Like, Did they not clear this out beforehand? Uh can you explain us a little bit more about hitting a crab so that we don't get a little bit freaked out that we should never go swimming in a, a lake in Tokyo and get bitten by these things? Uh, yeah, we, we, we call um, catching a crab is just when you when you get your oar sort of stuck in the water a little bit, um, and that can be that can be a fairly small thing that you can you can get over pretty quickly, or it can be a really really big thing that can probably stop the boat. So we we caught, we caught a crab in our in our final um, with about. It was about 750 meters to go. Um, the conditions were the conditions were pretty challenging, and when you're when you're putting yourself in a physical place like that, you're really running on the edge of your 
edge of your skill level. Um, and so catching catching a crab in a way was sort of indicative of the fact that we were we're right on the edge. We're we're pushing pushing as much as we could out of the, out of the boat. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's just getting all, all stuck in the water. It's nothing nothing to okay. be scared of. Right. If it wasn't like the marathon swimming where you're literally seeing these fish jumping over these athletes as they're swimming, you're not got like real life crabs <laughs> just like crawling all over you, basically. <laughs> Absolutely not. That'd be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I've got I kinda had an image as well. Also too, uh Lake Barrington here in Tasmania is a pretty decent spot. How mm. how, how do you find coming down to Tassie and being able to compete on, on Lake Barrington? Yeah, well, I mean the first time we I, the first time I've ever been to Lake Barrington was this year for for nationals. And I I mean I can't say to me to me more amazing words about it it's in, it's incredible it's it's a, a gorge you sort of feel like you're out there out there by yourself i'm like in the middle of the wilderness that like the serenity levels are they're off the charts um it, and it was it was incredible to get the opportunity to race down there for nationals this year we've done a lot of nationals um at at Cirque at the olympic course in sydney which is an incredibly good rowing course it's one of the probably the best rowing course i've ever rode around the world um, but Barrington was Barrington was stunning. Every every everyone on the team really really enjoyed being down there. And there there are some inconveniences, like there's not much accommodation nearby. But um, it it all seemed worthwhile to to get the opportunity to be down there in that stunning country. It, it's beautiful. It's just in the wrong half of the state. Like we don't care about the north of the state. You got to be in the south, mate. Like that's where it's at. You know, get some cascade into you. Kind of you know go to Mona. Kind of all the fun stuffs in the south part of the state. <laughs> Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to feed any of those rivalries. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> Hello to all our Launceston listeners. I'm glad you've worked out how to listen to a podcast. Um, now, uh, we like to close these off with a series of, as I said, get to know your questions. Now, this is based on a questionnaire that Team Canada gave to their athletes ahead of the Rio and the Pyeongchang Olympics. As always, I like to try and find a, a, an athlete who is from the same sport, but sadly, Team Canada has not put these questions to rowers, at least that they've published on their website. So the closest I've found is a canoeist. I've got a paddler by Cameron Smedley. I sort of thought, well, it's close enough, right? Like, it's close. <laughs> so, it's close. Just, just facing the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're going forward. You're going backwards. Um, yeah. So let's start off with, if you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Oh, wow. Um, I, I, it'd be, it'd, I think it would be amazing to have a host city like, like a really historical old city in Europe or something um, like somewhere with some, some real, I mean, there are plenty of places with, with some great heritage and history, but um, like we, we get to race in Lucerne every year rowing. Um, and it's just, it's an incredible place to row and there's so much history and culture and um, it's so, so old, um, I guess, which is maybe something we're lacking a bit in Australia. So maybe it's just the Australian image that would love, 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 to, be, love, love to be somewhere with some, very old infrastructure. <laughs> we 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 spoke with um Swiss rower Barnaby Delars recently, and he was sort of selling mm. Lausanne a little bit and just the beauty of it and everything along those lines. So um, I, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I, I hate to agree with him, but it's 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 pretty it's pretty good. Yeah, no, it definitely looks like an amazing place. Um, you can choose your own for this one too if you want. But uh, what is your favourite uh, ever Olympic moment? Um, well, for me, I mean, I I, I said earlier that I'd um. I've been Kim Brennan's training partner across that, that 2016 cycle. Um, and I don't think I've ever been as nervous for a race of my own as I was watching her final in Rio. Um, so I think seeing her cross the line and win that, 
win that gold medal was i think that's that's right up there for me that's my favorite Great answer. i like it that was yeah love that moment completely um the weirdest you sort of gave almost an answer to this earlier but maybe there's another one the weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you was uh oh gee um I've had some cracks in the time, but I quad coached this year. One of his favourite ones was um, that we we used to really we used to quote a lot in the boat was um, the things that make the boat go fast are the things that make the boat go fast. Um, <laughs> well, I, I still don't quite know what it means, but it, it, it came, came came with the right weight, and we we bought into it. So <laughs> this is this is why I love this question because I, I just love hearing all these things that coaches say that are just like oh, what moment but you somehow remember them so yeah 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 i mean there, there, there are plenty of weird ones that are very technical and specific to rowing but i think uh, that, that, that one sort of hit me i was like what <laughs> yeah there's another t-shirt for you that that's yeah the, <laughs> exactly rowing merch things that can do that uh didn't mention there's, there's if you want to do some extra homework luke there's always a drawing element to this they ask their athletes or there's a draw a picture of yourself so i mean look if you if you so want mm. to Feel free, send it in. We'll put it on the social. If not, it's all good. No pressure. So, not a great artist. Not a great artist, okay. We're going to get one person one day going to be like, yeah, actually, I love drawing. I'm going to do it right now. Um, your favourite workout is? Oh, gee. Um, I, I, I like every I like every every kind of workout in moderation. I guess I, I don't like gym. I don't like weights. That's I'm probably a bit unusual in that one. I, I, I quite like a sort of a... Sh- like a hard, short, hard interval session where you can really, you can really hurt yourself. There's some something quite pure about just just putting yourself in a pretty unpleasant, unpleasant place. Yeah, I see that. Barney actually told us about uh, the World Indoor Rowing Championships, which blew my mind at first because I'm like, what? How can you row a boat inside? Then I realised <laughs> it's just on a rowing machine. Is that something that you've had a crack at? Is there an Australian Indoor Rowing Championships that I should know about? There, there is an Australian Indoor Rowing Championships. It's coming. It's coming up in a couple of months' time. Um, we, you sort of have a, have a different location, um, in each state around the country and you'll compete on the same day and, um, compare your, compare your times. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if, if any, if anyone's in a, in a gym and they're really, really enjoying the idea of the erg and want to take it further than the the side of the rowing machine, then absolutely jump in, jump into Australian rowing chat. Into a rowing championships, yeah. I'll tell you one thing. Next time at the gym, I'm going to look at that thing and I'm going back to my point where I said it 10 seconds in. I'm going to get to 11 seconds in and see if I can do it, you know, just, just, just push through that motivation. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, if you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? Dead, dead or alive or? Dead or alive, um, anybody you like. Dead or alive. Um, oh, gee, I... One of my, the favorite, my favorite biography that I've ever read was um, a theoretical physicist named Richard Feynman. Um, mm. He was he was one of the, he was one of the people who, I mean, he ended up he ended up working on the atomic bomb um, for the US um, in the forties. But just the way that sort of beyond 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 that, just sort of the way that he saw the world um, and his, his sense of humor and stuff, I'd I'd love to. Uh, he's, he's passed away now, but I'd, I would love to. Love to sit down for lunch with him. He sounded like a really, really fun character. Great, great answer. Much more intelligent conversation than this one, Luke. Let's be honest. Uh, (laughs) Just just saying. Um, Everything in moderation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Your favourite sandwich is? um, I can't go past the ham and cheese toasty. Yes, classic. Doesn't, Doesn't get much better than that, I don't think. 
Now, I always have to ask the bread. Is it just standard white bread? Do you like to kind of go a bit fancy with the sourdough or is it just kind of what's ever on the kitchen counter next to the metal? What, whatever is there. Um, what, whatever's there, white, white bread, sourdough, whatever, chuck a few condiments on there. If you've got some chili sauce, tomato sauce, Ooh, barbecue, yeah. whatever, make it. Make it make it a bit of fun. Spice, spice up all the three. sandwich. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Treat yourself. You know? Go for it. Exactly. You deserve it. You deserve <laughs> it. Um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Um, maybe to maybe to teleport. I think that'd be yep. pretty cool. Yeah, that's a that sort of covers a lot of bases as well. You can do a lot of stuff with stuff with teleporting. You can, you can kind of fly as well in a way. Yeah. Just teleport yep. you from place across the sky. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Save a lot of time. Good way of looking at it, actually. Yeah. You kind of tick all the boxes. I like it. Um, The best candy in the world is? Tim Tams. Mmm. Yes. Yes, yes. Do you have a particular favorite? Like, do you just like the classic or do you go for the different flavors? Just just the OG for me. Yep. Works. I like yep. it. Um, As a kid, your favorite sports team was? Ooh. Um... Gee, I, I, see, I, I don't, I don't, I don't actually follow many, many other sports in particular. I, I, I follow, I follow Formula One a bit, but not, not too many other Ooh, ball sports. That tickles my fancy, Luke. Oh, I'm does a it? Formula One man, yes. Uh, I love, I love it. Uh, who's I love your, who's it. your driver? And I'm gonna, say, I'm guessing it's Dan. But I mean, besides the obvious, like, do you sort of have teams or other drivers you follow? Uh, obviously, Dan. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to see old uh, Max Verstappen get up this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Danny Rick, absolutely. I'll move my head slightly and you can maybe see my Ferrari cap behind me just to kind of... Ah, uh, you know, uh, right. Really show your yeah. allegiance. <laughs> yeah, show my... I mean, I, you grow up Schumacher, it kind of sticks with you. So yeah, it's sort of, absolutely. Uh, it's there. But you can't go past Dan. Like, come on. No. He's, uh, Dan the man. Um, your favourite sports movie is? Um, Eddie the Eagle. Oh, have yes. You, have Good you seen movie. that one? There's actually a scene in that movie that was quite... Uh, a, fundamental one for our crew this year um there's, there's a scene where eddie who's obviously not a great ski jumper is going up in the lift to the 90 meter jump with the, the flying fin mm-hmm. um and they have they have this they have this conversation um and sort of long and the short of it this conversation is like the flying fin is gonna he's the best in the world and eddie's just there to sort of do it um and the fin the finish bloke just says look the only thing that we have to do here is is our best like that's all that matters that's all you can do if if um if we do less than our best with the whole world watching watching it will kill us inside and that was that was kind of our motto for the season like we don't we don't have to beat anyone we just we just have to do our best winning and losing fantastic doesn't wow. matter in a way watch that movie <laughs> slightly differently now that you kind of say that that's a good way of all, looking all, at it. All, all, the, all the rest of the movie is crazy and hilarious but is it, that, 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 that one scene is actually quite yeah. powerful Wow, geez, I'm here about to comment on Hugh Jackman, Christopher Walken, but no, we've got some inspiration going on there, so <laughs> can't even add to that right now. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't lived enough places in the world to to know. I've, I've we spent we spent a lot of time up in northern Italy as part of the team, and I've I really enjoyed that part of the world. But I'd I'd, I'd try anywhere once, I guess. Um, yeah, I lived over Correct. in Perth for a while, and that was that was that was beautiful. So. Yep. Why not? Hard, hard to say. So, but yeah. let's let's say, let's say Northern Italy for the second. This one, we I've had I've had some good times up there. 
you can train time for the 2026 Winter Olympics while you're there. Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get get on another Olympics, different sport. Try your hand at Bob's in ski jumping. You know, I don't know when the last time Australia had a ski, ski jump. Jumping. Maybe maybe never had one. I don't know. So oh god, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how my six foot nine frame will go ski jumping. <laughs> You'd be landing before you took off. Yeah, uh, <laughs> kind of going on that way, Luke. Before we let you go, mate, um, if people want to sort of start to date with your journey, everything else that you're doing in life, uh, social media, or anything you want to sort of uh, plug right now for our listeners. Oh, uh, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome to follow me. Follow me on Instagram and Luke.Letcher, but I, I don't I don't post there a huge amount. I'm not a not a massive social media guy. Um, but if you that that'd be the place. Go 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 for the uh, the pool room photo. That's all I can say. Kind of yep. you know that 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 puts. And do you have a pool room? Have you got that photo printed, ready to go, and next to the medal? <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't actually have a pool room. I, I mean I've got a physic um sorry a, a figurative pool room, but. Um, no, no, no literal one yet. That's one for the, it's one for the ambitions. It will, it will happen one day. Luke, it has been a lot of fun learning a lot about your career, your experiences and love for the castle. Uh, we could, we could just sit here and talk about how amazing that movie is all day, I think. But, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations for Tokyo. And, uh, yeah, we really do appreciate your time on the show today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been good fun. And a massive, massive thanks there to Luke for his time. I never knew Eddie the Eagle was that inspirational. So uh, maybe I need to give that a sneaky rewatch and kind of watch that scene. Great movie. Fantastic movie. And uh, always good to see these movies inspiring our athletes on the show. But a big thanks to Luke for his time. Very much appreciated. As always, this is a part of the show where I tell you we've got some great interviews coming your way. And I'm not lying. We've got some great ones still to come covering a variety of different sports across both the winters and the summers in the lead up to Beijing. So stay tuned for those if you want to stay tuned as always search off the podium on all the podcasting platforms all the social media leave us some feedback rate us follow us on social media and subscribe to the show and you will never miss one of these episodes and we always love to hear what you think of the show if you've got any guests out there you'd like us to track down anyone in particular let us know and we'll see what we can do big thanks again to luke big thanks everyone for listening this has been off the podium my name is ben and remember go left <laughs>